0: Uh, On your screen, as you're watching this, there's going to be a slide that appears that is our title, David and Bathsheba. We're going to look at that, and most of us know this story from Sunday school. It's a familiar story, and I want you to, to kind of catch this, this verse 1, which is very interesting for us, and we're going to study that in a second. The next slide that the gang upstairs is going to show us is a is couple reminders for us as a church. The, the very first one, August 9th, Renfrew on the Roof Again. Uh, that's a, our event that starts at one30 we're going to hang out. We're going to social distance. We're going to take communion together, and we're just going to have the opportunity to connect with one another, to to see each other's face again. And then on August 23rd, <laughs> We're going to do Renfrew at the park once again. We're going to do that worship service in our community center's uh, hockey, uh, hockey arena there. And we're just going to enjoy being outside. We're actually going to have an opportunity to, to minister to the neighbors that are right there in the homes uh, around uh, the, the community center. So throw those on your calendar. You don't want to miss those. Through this summer, we've been looking, Pastor Trent and myself, have been looking at this, what did David's life actually involve, and what were kind of the rhythms that David had in his life? We quickly understood that, that David looked at, at, God looked at David and went, this is a man after my own heart. But we also found that, that David had a few maybe kinks in his armor. We saw David as a teenager step up, raise his hand, and go, I'll go fight Goliath. And we also see David as this faithful guy who just served under a king who was trying to kill him. For many years, David had to travel from city to city, living in caves and kind of hiding from, from King Saul. And eventually, King Saul died, and David became the king. David had been uh, over the tribe of Judah for seven years, and then he led the nation of Israel for six years. So our best guess is David might have been in the, in the late 40s or early 50s. God had, had blessed David with multiple victories over enemies. His territory was expanding. He was, he was very successful. God had promised this land to to Abraham and Moses and David was starting to, to see that become a reality. Life was going great for David. He was on top of the mountain. And then one small event happened. One temptation. David's perfect life began to unravel. He suffered the consequences of his choice. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. The the gang upstairs is just going to show you some selected verses that I've chosen. Just remember that anytime we read God's Word, we want the story to impact us. We want to use our imagination. We want to see the characters that are involved in the story. We want to understand, where am I in this story? What is God telling me in this story? So let's look at verse 1 in Second Samuel chapter 11. You see it on your screen now. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent off Joab, with the king's men, and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites. They, they beat this nation. David remained in Jerusalem. That's key. Hold on to that. One evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw this woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent some messengers to get her. She came with him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, Uh-oh, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah Uriah, the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to the king, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go back home, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all the master servants and did not go to his house. David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he asked Uriah, have you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go and eat and drink and make love to my wife as surely as you live? I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. Look down at at verse 16. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where the strongest defenders were. When the men of city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you finish giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Don't you know that they would shoot arrows from the wall? Verse 22, you'll see this on your screen. The messenger sent out, and when he arrived, he told David and everything Joab had sent him to say. Verse 25, David told the messenger, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack toward the city and destroy it. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's pray. God, over the next few minutes, may my friends hear your words, not my words. Put me so far in the background that my friends truly see a representation of who you are, not Matt. May it be your words, and may the Holy Spirit prompt, guide, and lead us. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at a few statements about temptation. Here's the very first statement it's really important for us. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how good we think we are, we are all vulnerable to temptation. No matter how good I am, no matter how often I attend church, no matter how often I read my Bible, no matter how good of a person I am, we're all vulnerable to temptation. Here was David. And remember the description that David was given, a man after God's own heart. He was more successful than any king before or even after. Maybe with the exception of of his son Solomon, Solomon, He was anointed, he was filled, and yet he fell to temptation. Even as Christians, each one of us has some kink in our armor, a weakness, a place where where Satan tries to, to poke and prod us, to exploit us, to cause us to fail. And it only takes one time to ruin the rest of your life. David struggled with lust way before this story of Bathsheba. How do I know? Well, tucked back in the book of Deuteronomy, which was written by Moses over 400 years before David comes on the scene, God spoke of the day that the Israelites would be a nation. And they would desire a king. It's going to be on your screen. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 and 17 says this. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you. And you've taken possessions of it. And you've settled in it. And you say, let us have a king over us, just like all the other nations. In verse 17, he must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Well, how many wives did David have lots. People think he probably had seven. The reason that that I believe that David struggled with lust way before this incident with Bathsheba was that David knew about this passage, yet he'd taken advantage of his position as a king, and he just kept wanting wives and more wives. Remember, David was a, a passionate person, He was passionate about his relationship with God. He was passionate about the battles that he fought. He was passionate about his music. He was passionate about poetry. And with that came a passion or a lust for women. David fed his lust by having multiple wives, which, although was culturally acceptable, it wasn't what God wanted him to do. The lie that that Satan wants us to believe is that if we feed our desires, if we feed our, te- our temptations, that it'll actually curb our appetite. Kind of like food. If I am hungry and I eat a meal, then I, I don't necessar- necessarily feel hungry anymore. The only problem is is that when enough people fall for this lie, it becomes normal. It kind of becomes the way things are in our society. And then we, we start to believe this as Christ followers. Well, everyone else does it, so how can it be wrong? The only problem with, with that statement and with this belief that if we just give in to some temptation, we'll actually curb that, that appetite is that it actually doesn't satisfy our temptation. It intensifies them. It makes our our desires increase. It opens the door for more temptation and even more sin. Even before this situation with, with Bathsheba, he had already been feeding his temptation and it made his desire stronger. The question I needed to ask myself this week was simply this. What is the chink in Matt's armor? What temptation am I most susceptible to? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it greed? Is it out of control spending? Where have I I opened the door in my life? Just a little bit to let temptation come in. Well, here's the second thing. So the first statement was simply that we're all vulnerable to temptation. Here's the second one. There are always signs. There's always signs that alert me to temptation. David had already cracked the door open to his temptation. He already had let Satan's foot in the door. Then David opened the door without even really realizing it. He opened the door by doing what he wasn't supposed to do. If you've had your Bibles open, I actually want you to turn back to to verse 1. This verse stood out to me incredibly uh, strong this week. Verse 1 says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelites' army. And then look at the end of verse 1. But David remained in Jerusalem. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David decides, ah, it's not for me. David's troops were off fighting. David staying at home. If David was doing what he was supposed to be doing, he wouldn't have been in that predicament. What was David doing? Keep reading that story. It says, one evening David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof. The Hebrew word for evening means the time between the sun going down and it getting dark outside. In other words, we would classify it as dusk. It was dusk. And David climbed out of bed. Note he was not exactly working hard while his men were fighting. Most of our temptations actually happen when we're not doing what God wants us to do. We place ourselves in a position where we might get tempted. I doubt that David had any clue what he would see that night. But the opportunity presented itself, and David ignored his responsibilities that were given to him by God to be the king. You and I need to be careful not to put ourselves in danger's way. David didn't do anything unusual. He was walking around on the roof of the palace. Most homes in Jerusalem would have a flat roof, so it wasn't like he was doing something that was so crazy. But then out of the corner of his eye, something caught his attention. A beautiful woman. Scripture actually says that it was a very beautiful woman. David caught this glimpse of this very beautiful woman, And David made another mistake. He lingered. Then he moved from lingering to coveting. He went, I want this woman. It didn't take him very long to go from looking to coveting to, I want. She didn't even have a name. He had to send someone to actually learn her name. It didn't matter. He wanted her for himself. When temptation comes, and it will come, what should we do? We have to flee. We have to get away from the temptation. We have to do whatever it takes to actually leave that situation. The longer that we entertain the the temptation, that word we keep using, the longer we linger, the sooner we'll fall for it. A great example of this that tweaked in my mind this week was, do you remember the story, the biblical story of Joseph in Genesis 39? He was faced with a very similar situation. The difference between Joseph and David is that Joseph was was asked, hey, come sleep with me. Joseph was the head servant for a man named Potiphar. One day his, his boss's wife came to him wearing not much clothing and invited Joseph to the bedroom. What did Joseph do? He fled. He ran. He left. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this and it's great words from the, the Apostle Paul. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God promises right here in Scripture that we can actually get out of that situation. Unfortunately, David didn't take his God-given way out. David lingered, he coveted. He gave in to his temptation. And he went as far as to his servants, go get me that woman and I'm going to sleep with her. And we might think, oh, that's nice, that's the end of the story, but that's not what happens with sin. Sin rarely ends there. In order to cover his tracks, David starts to spin a web of deceit. He tried to get Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to return from war. Told him to go to his home to clean up, hoping that he would be with his wife so Uriah would think that the child is actually not David's, but his own. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace. He was respectful of the king. When when David discovered that lie wasn't working, he decided that let's take a more direct route and confront Uriah, asking why didn't he go to his home. And Uriah said, how could I ever do such a thing? You're the king, the Ark of the Covenant, and our army is camped in open fields. How can I go home, enjoy my bed, and lay with my wife while my friends, my partners... And the Lord are out on the battlefield. So David had to spin another lie. The next day, David tried another tactic by just getting Uriah drunk. But Uriah spent the night with David's servants instead of going home when these ploys didn't work. And you'd think David would stop. David becomes more desperate. You see, that's what sin does. It causes us to act in desperation. He sent Uriah back into the battle with a sealed note to the general Joab to send Uriah to the front lines and then to pull the army back so that Uriah would get killed. When the letter came back, it wasn't just Uriah that was killed by several men. It was a group of David's men that were killed. You see, sin always has a ripple effect. It just doesn't affect us. And that's the third point. It always affects others. Sin always affects others. There's always consequences for our sin. At first it was Bathsheba. Then it was Uriah. And then it was the other men who died fighting for David. Although it seemed as as though david got away with this the husband's dead david marries Bathsheba, so there was really nothing to trace back to that sin that choice that david made it seemed as though david wouldn't face any consequences but you see you can't hide your sin from god The very first consequence, and many of us have experienced this consequence with sin, with temptation, is guilt. In Psalm 32, David writes about this. Psalm 32, David writes this in verse 3. When I kept silent, and we could put in brackets about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your heavy hand was upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. While our sin might be a secret, God knows you can't hide your sin from God. And God's heavy hand is on you. So that when we actually think about what we've done, we feel like we need to repent to God. It burns our heart and only God can lift that burden. Once God confronted David through the prophet Nathan, David realized that his sin has been exposed. God informed David through Nathan that there were consequences to his sin. It's going to be on your screen, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Never a good thing. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives. I will give them to one who is close to you. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. What you did in secret, I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Because of David's sin, there will be strife in his family for the rest of his life. In the very next chapter, his oldest son, Amnon, raped his daughter two years later. Another of his son, Absalom, murdered that son. Later, Absalom made a run for the throne over David through deception. David, giving in to temptation, giving in to sin, didn't just affect a couple people. It affected a whole family. One sin, compounded by a bunch of lies and deceit, ruined David's family forever. Do you remember that David was a man after God's own heart? When David was finally confronted, David owned up to it. He confessed his sin before God, and God was more merciful than we could ever deserve. God forgave David, just as he promises to forgive us. Reminds me of that that verse we learned in Sunday school. 1 John 1-9, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from everything we do wrong. Well, God doesn't remove those earthly consequences. David still had earthly consequences. God is merciful, He sets us free from the internal consequences of our sin. Today, you and I know a God who will forgive through that death of Jesus on the cross if we truly confess our sins. Perhaps this morning, there's a temptation that that you have fallen for. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've sinned against God. Unfortunately, God can't remove the consequences, but God can remove the guilt. The start of this service, we started with a psalm, Psalm 51. I want us to go back there. And I want you to look at, at verse 10 through 12. Now that we've studied the story of Bathsheba, we can actually see why this passage of Scripture that David wrote is so powerful for us. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, don't cast me from your presence. God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit and let that sustain me. Let me pray. God, thank you for a great reminder from David of how you took someone who had great promise and who messed up but you reconciled and still used in a powerful way. God, may we understand that our sin does not just affect us, it affects a whole community. God, we thank you that you're faithful to forgive. We claim the promise that you are greater than our sin. We thank you for the cross. What a great reminder today that there's a Savior who shed his blood on our behalf, so that we could live pure god if i said anything that wasn't of you take it from my friends minds if you used me in a small way to encourage my friends make it about the holy spirit that prompts guides and leads we love you we ask all this in your name amen thank you for joining us today know that pastor trent and myself are praying for you and may you live in the peace and the confidence that only is found in christ God bless. Have a great Sunday.